0: You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, I have a beautiful wife named Ashley. Uh, I have two uh, beautiful daughters. Ruby uh, is the oldest. She's two. Uh, and the younger one is just uh, six weeks old. Her name is, is Frances. Uh, and Ashley and I have been married for four and a half years now. And I am pleased to stand before you today and to tell you uh, that our communication as husband and wife is just, it's perfect. Uh, there's no mis- miscommunications ever between us. Right, we're always communicating just perfectly about uh, our expectations for one another. Right, we're always just on the same page, and I'm, just, I'm really thankful for that. Uh, but uh, it hasn't always been that way. Uh, early on uh, in our marriage, uh, I learned a few uh, valuable lessons. Uh, one lesson uh, that I learned uh, in month, I think it was the first or second month, uh, was that it might not always be the greatest idea uh, for she and I to work on the same project together. I don't know if, if some of you have learned that, that same lesson. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was either month one or two. We were uh, living in our first house together, and we decided to tackle some uh, some house projects over the weekend, uh, mainly uh, painting the entire kitchen. And so we had already painted uh, all the walls in the kitchen, and then we were moving on to the kitchen cabinets. Uh, these kitchen cabinets were just terrible. Uh, were, there was alternating colors. Uh, one of them was puke yellow, the other one was bright candy red and it had like some texture on it. it was, they were so terrible. And so we just thought, well, let's, let's do this together. It'll be really fun. Husband and wife, it'll be really uniting. This will be great. And then we'll, we'll end up with this uh, bright, beautiful, nice, clean uh, kitchen. Uh, well, it didn't exactly go that way. Uh, w- we started off and we, we developed a plan for how we're going to tackle this project. And, and so I would start on one end and she would start on the other end and we would just sort of meet in the middle. It was a great plan, except that we sort of had different thoughts about exactly how that plan uh, was going to be executed. Uh, you see, I, I was thinking that, you know, I would start on my end, uh, I would do my half, she would do her half, and then, you know, we'd just sort of see how things went, right? Uh, and I, it, what was really important here was the end product, you know? So we would, we would check up on each other and how each other were doing, you know? Excellence and, and a really just good paint job. That, that was like the, the highest value, or, or at least I thought. Uh, my wife had very different expectations, uh, and so when, when she looked over uh, at me, uh, painting the sections that she had already painted, uh, she was a little offended, right? We got into uh, an argument, uh, and the thing that I learned from that argument, the thing that I took was, don't paint her half uh, of the cabinets. Now, that was, I, I, think, I think that that was our first uh, argument uh, in, in our marriage, but it was not the last uh, just later on that night, we had been working on all these projects uh, all throughout the day, and, and dinner came around. And so, uh, my wife took time out to, to make uh, this nice dinner, and she spent all this time, and she, she got it uh, in the oven. Uh, and but it, it started to take a little bit longer uh, than we had thought. Uh, and so, like eight o'clock rolled around, and I was pretty hungry, uh, and it still wasn't done yet. And so, you know, I'm just thinking, you know what? No big deal. Like I'm a man; I can take care of myself. And so I just went to the cupboard and I made myself a bowl uh, of granola, right? I I thought, no big deal, right? Well, I I learned uh, it was a bigger deal than I thought because when my wife came in, she was, again, a little offended that I was eating a a bowl of granola when there was dinner uh, in uh, the oven. Uh, And what I took from that uh, argument was, don't eat a bowl of granola when dinner's in the oven, right? (laughs) Now, all of you women uh, already know this, and and I learned it much later, uh, but uh, for my wife, uh, it wasn't about the bowl of granola, right? And it wasn't about uh, the painted cabinets. What my wife wanted, what she cared about, uh, was that I valued her, was that there's a sense of I needed her in our marriage, that we were complementing one another, You see, in my stupidity, I just completely missed the point with my wife. In our passage today, Jesus is going to confront some religious leaders, and he is going to tell them, you have missed the point. In your zeal for religious piety, you have just completely missed the point. And I'm just going to give it to you right here at the top. The point that they missed was this. God cares about your heart. God cares about your heart. It might seem like a, an obvious statement. It might, one, it might seem like one is just really hard uh, to miss. But the reality is it's something that's really difficult to keep straight in, in our actual day-to-day lives. Like not the, not the life that we have on, on paper where we know all the right answers. Right? But, but the life where we're actually having to deal with like the stresses uh, around us. Where we're actually having to deal with other people in relationships. Right? In that life, it's hard to remember that following Jesus... It's not about what you do, but rather who you are. In the busyness and in in the stresses of life, we miss the point, right? We forget that growing in love for God, growing in love for others, is not primarily about doing the right kinds of things, but rather about becoming the right kind of person. You see, God cares about your heart. And that's the point of our text today uh, in Matthew 15, to show us that God cares about the heart. Uh, the heart uh, in the Bible is, is this comprehensive term that's used to refer to uh, the core of our being, right? It's who we truly are. It's what we love uh, and desire. Uh, and, and what Jesus wanted the religious leaders to see, what he wanted the disciples to see who get pulled into the conversation, and what he wants you and I uh, to see today is that God cares about your heart. And so there, like I gave you the the main point right at the beginning, and if it was just really easy to embrace that big idea, if it was really easy to apply it, then we could just wrap all this up really quickly. But I think, as we all know, it's just not that easy. In fact, we often go about our lives in just the completely opposite way. We are prone to care more about how we appear on the outside than how we are on the inside the reality of our lives would demonstrate that we would, we would all rather be thought of as good than actually being good. The reality of our lives would demonstrate that, that we treasure other people's approval as much or more so than we do God's. And why is it that we're okay with, with sin in our lives just so long as no one else knows about it? Listen, God cares About your heart. But our tendency is to care about so many other things. I think the good news for us today, the the news that Jesus wants to offer us in the scripture today is that there is hope for change. But if we're going to experience change and transformation at, at the inside level, then we have to understand what God wants to say to us today in this text. Because if we don't, we'll just drift further and further away from God. Uh, The issues that are going on here in in Matthew 15, maybe they sound a little strange to you, right? The Pharisees are talking about hand-washing. There's this uh, sort of almost out-of-the-blue reference to honoring your father and mother. Uh, it, It might seem at first glance that today's passage seems like it's this fight over something that's very outdated, obscure things that don't really apply to us at all. But I think as we look deeper and deeper into the text today, we're going to see that this passage is very much relevant and crucial to our walk with God, because the issue that Jesus is dealing with has to do with what is wrong with us and what we should do about it. In this passage, the religious leaders of Jesus' day point out a problem that, as we look at it, I think we're going to see affects all of us. And so let's look at it together If you don't already, open up your Bibles to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Let's kind of just make our way through this story again, starting in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay, so the Pharisees and the scribes have come all the way from Jerusalem, it says. This would have been about a hundred-mile trek from where Jesus was. The Pharisees and the scribes are the religious leaders, the religious elite of the day. And they have been sent from Jerusalem, which is the religious headquarters. And they've been sent to try and discredit Jesus. Uh, the ministry, the influence that Jesus is having is beginning uh, to spread. And so uh, the people in Jerusalem are, are concerned about this. They're concerned about some of the things that Jesus is teaching. And so they send the Pharisees and the scribes uh, out to him in order to try and discredit Jesus. And, and so these, these guys come to Jesus and they confront him. Right? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They, they do not wash their hands when, when they eat. Again, that, that, uh, this issue might seem a little outdated, might seem a little irrelevant to us, but, but let's look uh, just a little bit deeper into what's going on here, what the Pharisees and scribes are talking about. Right, they confront Jesus uh, about washing uh, his hands, but they, they aren't really concerned. Right? When, we, when we think about washing hands, we're just thinking purely, right, get them clean, hygiene, and then, and then we go eat, right? Uh, but, but these guys aren't concerned uh, about hygiene here. They are confronting Jesus about his religious practices and they ultimately are confronting him about his moral purity. Whenever you see the word clean in the Bible, it's used to refer to being purified, being cleansed so that you could approach God. God is completely holy. He's He's without any defilement at all. And so God required the people to approach him in purity. Uh, the Pharisees uh, also mention here this phrase, the tradition of the elders, and they mention that Jesus is, b- is breaking the tradition of the elders. Uh, the tradition of the elders, these were, these were things that were not in the Bible, but rather they, they were things that had grown up around the Bible. They were a bunch of rules and regulations that had been added to Scripture uh, over time, uh, and, and over that course of time, they became, they became very binding and authoritative in the lives uh, of the Jews. God had given his law to the people of Israel, uh, and the business of, of these Pharisees and these scribes was to, was to look at that law and, and to ask the question, what, what, is, what does God mean by this command? What is the Bible talking about with this command? And, and so the tradition of the elders began as a way to help people actually understand what is the law of God uh, and, and was to help them ensure that they were able to keep the law of God. But what happened is that over time, uh, this tradition of the elders devolved into this long list of rules and regulations. Uh, so just uh, one example of how this, how this went, uh, this thing with about the washing of their hands. Uh, in the Old Testament, um, the only people who were actually commanded uh, that they were to wash their hands in this way was uh, the priests. Right, but, but by the time Jesus comes on the scene here in Matthew 15, this commandment that had been given to them uh, was expanded and added on to and now everyone was required to constantly wash not only their hands but but their feet and there was very detailed rules about exactly how they were supposed uh, to wash and, and over time these rules and regulations these uh, traditions uh, of the elders they became equal uh, in authority with the bible they began to actually govern how people were doing with god And so the Pharisees, they see what's going on with Jesus and his disciples, and they come to him. They see that they're not observing the law, and they accuse him, right, of moral impurity. They're telling Jesus, you're sinning. You're defiled. You're unclean. And Jesus responds to their accusation with one of his own. Look at verse 3. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition for God commanded honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die but you say if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God he need not honor his his father so for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God and let me, uh, again, sort of shed a little bit of light on what's going on here, because it seems a little bit out of the blue, right? They come talking to him about washing their hands, and Jesus comes back with this line about honoring your father and mother. And so what, what's Jesus talking about here, right? So they, they accuse him uh, of being unclean, of not washing his hands, and Jesus doesn't, he doesn't deny their accusations, uh, but rather, uh, he instead turns it back on them. He says, okay, you guys want to talk about, about purity, about cleanliness? He says, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of keeping your own rules and traditions? And he goes on to talk about this, um, this, this scheme that they had, uh, that, that the Pharisees had that sort of built up over time, right? He talks to them about honoring their father and mother. And, and what, he's, what happened was some of the Jews had developed this, uh, this scheme where they were, they were using uh, sort of a, a over-spiritualization to avoid parental responsibility, there was this practice where they would designate a certain portion of their money that would go to the building of the temple, right? which meant that they couldn't use it for anything else because it had been set aside for God. And so they were using this, this practice as a way, sort of a loophole, right? as a way of getting them out of having to take care of their parents, obeying the fifth commandment, right? And so Jesus says to them, like, wait a minute. Are you guys talking about? How, how can you be talking about these rules and regulations that aren't even in the Bible right, when you're disobeying the basic and direct commands of God? And, and Jesus then goes on and he gives them a pretty sharp rebuke. Look, look at what Jesus says in, in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart Is far from me; in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Right, Jesus is is quoting here from Isaiah twenty twenty nine. And when Isaiah had written these words, he was actually writing about the Israelites seven hundred years before Jesus came. Uh, But Jesus comes on the scene here, and, and he's teaching us that those words of Isaiah are also a prophecy of these religious leaders. He's saying that even after 700 years, the sins are still the same. The problem, Jesus says, hasn't changed. And he goes on to, to detail for us exactly what the problem is. Let's keep reading in verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You see, the problem, Jesus is saying, it's not what you do. The problem is with who you are. Your uncleanness doesn't come from the outside. Washing your hands isn't going to fix the problem. Right? The problem is in your heart. Your heart is unclean and defiled. He says you've missed the point. God cares about your heart. I mentioned my oldest daughter, Ruby. Ruby's two years old. Uh, and uh, she understands basically everything that's going on. And so over the past few months, I, I've, I've tried to get really consistent with her uh, about doing uh, what dad says, right? And so anytime I need her to understand something I want her to do or anytime she's not doing something uh, I want her to do, I get down with her and I just explain to her really clearly what it is I want her to do. Uh, and then I, get, uh, I say the same thing every single time, Right? I want to make sure that she understands, and I want her I want to, to repeat a phrase of obedience. And so I say, I tell her what I want her to do, and I said, uh, uh, say, yes, Daddy. And she said, yes, Daddy. Because right? what I'm doing is I want her to see right, that obedience is important. Right? She's, she's two years old. I need, her, I need her to understand and see that what Daddy says is important, and she needs to obey. But what I care way more than about, about her understanding the importance of obedience. What I want her to see and understand as she grows up, what I, what I hope that she sees more and more of is that her daddy loves her, that he cares for her. And what, what the things that I'm asking her to do are for her good, or for her flourishing. I say, I'm not just after her obedience. I'm after obedience that flows from, from a heart that loves her dad. The same thing is true of God, Jesus is saying that God cares about your heart. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and the disciples here that God cares about your heart and he's also teaching them that there's a problem, right? They are far from God. Their hearts are in rebellion against God, right? They prefer the rules and the traditions of men over and above God's rules. These religious leaders, they are part of the chosen people of God, They've been given the words and the laws of God. They've been instructed in the proper ways to to worship God. But here Jesus tells us that their worship is in vain. It's useless. It's superficial. So I think we have a a decision to make at this point. So, What are we to do with this encounter with Jesus? What do we do with this scene about the Pharisees and the scribes? Is this passage here in Matthew 15 meant to teach us that we should stay away from the example of the Pharisees, right? that we shouldn't be like them? I certainly do think that Jesus' words offer us a warning. right? They warn us about the true nature of worship. They warn us to keep our hearts clean before God. But if we stop there, if we only see this as a warning, if our response is, don't be like them, don't be like the Pharisees. They're the problem. They're unclean. Don't be like those guys. But I think we sort of missed the point because our response really is no different than them. See, Jesus' words to us are a warning, but they also expose us for our own false religion and hypocrisy. See, the surest way to be a hypocrite is to think that other people are the problem. Pride is the fuel for hypocrisy. The problem that Jesus points out here is the problem for all of us. We are the problem. Our hearts are defiled before a holy God. There's a famous story about G.K. Chesterton. He was a writer and a theologian. And there was this magazine or a newspaper, and they were writing this piece. And so they sent it out to several well-known thinkers in the day to get their response to a question. The question was, what's wrong with the world? And so they sent this question out to, to uh, many people, and they were uh, wanting a response and, and to see how these various people responded. Uh, and, and Chesterton just responded back uh, with two words. Right? What's the problem with the world? I am. I am. I'm the problem. It, it's my heart. It, it's defiled. Right? God cares about our heart, and our heart is defiled. That's what the problem is. We are all Hypocrites, honoring God with our lips, but defiled in our hearts. And so don't miss the point today. God cares about your heart, and your heart is defiled before Him. So what do we what do we do with this problem? I think we're probably all naturally aware. Uh, that something isn't right within us, Uh, certainly something isn't right uh, in the world. Maybe we're not able to exactly pinpoint what the problem is, uh, but the uncleanness of our hearts, uh, I think naturally just doesn't sit well with us. Uh, And so we try uh, and do something about it. We try to to deal with the problem uh, on our own. And and when we deal with this particular problem uh, on our own, we will inevitably end up focusing on the external, just cleaning up the outside. When we, when we don't measure up to certain standards, right, and we certainly don't measure up to God's standards, we don't even measure up to our own standards that we create. But when we don't measure up to standards, we begin inventing ways of making the law obeyable, ways of measuring ourselves by things that we can do, And this is exactly what Jesus confronts and condemns here with the Pharisees. They had become so focused on external actions and they had built up this entire system, this, this tradition of the elders. And it, it was a way for them of dealing with the uncleanness in their hearts. And by focusing on the external, right, the Pharisees were mistaking means for ends. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, right, so they have these traditions of the elders. Right, and Jesus talks to them, confronts them about it. Right, but Jesus wasn't against a tradition altogether. Right, I think Jesus would say, and we certainly would say, tradition is a very good thing. Right, traditions are, are meant to be an aid in, in worship uh, in service uh, to God. Uh, at Providence, we have intentionally sought uh, to root ourselves, especially our Sunday gathering, uh, in the tradition and the practices of the church. Like just here on Sundays, uh, we follow a, a pattern of worship, one that has been rooted in historic Christianity. We gather together and we recite ancient creeds and confessions. At times we bow our heads or we close our eyes. We lift our hands sometimes. All of these things are aids, which is fine, insofar as they are helpful toward the end of loving God and others. But when these things, when these traditions, when these practices, when these external actions become an end in themselves, they actually distract and they hinder us From the end, which is loving God and loving others. Uh, The Pharisees and the scribes do this uh, with the ritual of of washing their hands. The the practice of of washing their hands was a part of this larger practice of ritual purification. And the entire point of of this purifying yourself uh, before God, the whole point was to highlight the holiness and the purity and the worthiness of God. The point in in, in God giving these uh, commands and these rituals to the nation of Israel was so that the nation of Israel would be a light to the world, showing how awesome and great and worthy the God is that they served. But instead of that, they had built up all these rules and traditions, and and, and ultimately those those things were used just to condemn and to exclude others. Rather than being a, a light to the world, Right, they became a voice of condemnation, of exclusion. Right, they were so focused on the external that they mistook means uh, for ends. Uh, following Jesus uh, is not about conforming externally uh, to the law, but rather about becoming the right kind of person who obeys the law because it is what they truly want to do. It's, it's, it's obedience that flows from the heart. Uh, you see, the purpose of the law is to lead us into relationship with God. We're supposed to realize our inability to obey the law, our inability to love God, to love others the way that we should, and it's in that place, in seeing our inability to carry out the law, that we see our need for God. We see that the law points us to Jesus as the only one who measures up to the commandments of the law, and we turn in faith To him, we rely upon his power and his grace to change us from the inside out so that we become the kind of people that can actually love God and love others the way that we want. But instead, we get so focused on the external that we mistake means for ends. Let me maybe just highlight a few ways that, that I have seen that in my own life and I have seen that in others as well. Ways that we just focus on the external. Ways in which we mistake means for ends. Uh, the, the first one is through uh, spiritual disciplines. Things that are, that are really good and that you need in order to walk with God and, and to relate uh, to others. Things like reading your Bible. Uh, things like praying. There's all kinds uh, of spiritual disciplines. But when you make spiritual disciplines uh, an end in and of themselves... Uh, You're trying to get at them in in ways that they were never meant uh, to be. And so uh, I think we can see this um, in in how you might answer this question. How do you typically answer the question when people ask you, how are you doing spiritually? How's your walk with God going? If your mind uh, immediately jumps to external actions, things like spiritual disciplines, you're mistaking means for ends. And I think when we do that with the spiritual disciplines, uh, it produces a lack of joy. And ultimately, I think it produces a distrust in the very way of the Christian life. Because you're putting this this weight on, on spiritual disciplines, on these things that are meant to help us walk with God that they're never meant uh, to, to bear. Right? And so when you're putting your, your, your hope, when you're putting your weight in those things and they disappoint, right, it produces a lack of joy. It, it produces a sense of distrust. It's like, man, I thought this was the... I thought this was the thing we were supposed to do, and they're not. They're not producing the things that God said that they would. I don't have no. I don't have no vitality. I have no walk with God. I don't. I don't, I don't hear from Him. You're mistaking means for ends. Uh, another way that I have seen this uh, in my own life is on relying on wisdom and right answers. Right, wisdom, Think, something that's really good. God wants you to have wisdom. You need wisdom in order to to walk with God and to love others. There's a whole book in the Bible called Proverbs. It's about you getting godly wisdom. You should get some godly wisdom. It'll help you walk with God. It it will produce good fruit in your life. But if you make wisdom, if you make right answers, if you make knowledge an end in and of themselves, it's going to reap a a harvest of bad relationships. You're going to be that guy that always has to be right. That always has something to say. that always is looking down his nose at other people. If you mistake means for ends when it comes to wisdom and right answers, you're going you're to reap poor relationships. Uh, another way that we, that we do this, focusing on the external, uh, is we, we focus uh, not on how we actually are doing with God, but rather on how spiritual other people think we are. Right? And, we, and when we do that, when we make that an end in and of itself, right, it leads to inauthentic relationships. Uh, another way that we do this uh, is with community. We need each other. That is our strong belief at providence. We need each other in order to, to walk with God, in order to love Him, in order to love each other. We desperately need each other. But if you make community an end in and of itself, right, if, you, if you make how active and needed you are in this community, y- you will burn out. Some of you might be able to last longer than others, but you will absolutely burn out. Uh, one more, uh, and this is, this is a big one that I see. Uh, we, mistake, uh, ends, uh, we mistake means for ends when we focus on how little we are sinning. If, if our focus is on minimizing our sin, on how little we sin... It will only lead. It won't lead to sinning less. It will lead to to hiding, into downplaying, becoming the kind of person who loves God and others. That, that's the end for all of us in the Christian life. Everything else is a means. And if you settle for measuring yourself by the means, you you will miss the point altogether. And mistaking means for ends, focusing on the external. It has negative effects uh, on our lives, right? It leads to bad fruit. I just talked a little bit about that. Uh, But it also has negative effects on our relationship with God because it leads us away uh, on a drift from him. Uh, Jesus quotes from uh, Isaiah 29 when he confronts the Pharisees and he he calls them uh, hypocrites. Uh, I want want you to listen to uh, another chapter in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, it was where our confession of sin was taken from today. Um, This is another rebuke against hypocrisy Um, this is Isaiah Isaiah chapter 1 and this is the message translation which I think has a unique way of really cutting through listen to what God has to say about mistaking means for ends, about focusing on the external he says quit your worship charades I can't stand your trivial religious games monthly conferences, weekly sabbaths, special meetings meetings, meetings, meetings I can't stand one more Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I will not be listening. Man, that is a chilling rebuke from the Lord. Listen, don't miss the point. God cares about your heart. When you focus on the external, you are neglecting the very thing that God cares so much about. Focusing on the external will only lead to hypocrisy in our lives, and hypocrisy will quickly lead you in a drift away from God. This is what we see with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious people, but their hearts, Jesus says, were far from God. They had built up their whole sense of of self, of value, of worth, based on their ability to obey the law. They had built up their identity on being religious. Their sense of righteousness was in being clean according to their external actions. And when Jesus calls them hypocrites, he is rejecting their attempts at righteousness. And the problem for the Pharisees is our problem as well. We all build our sense of self and value and identity on all kinds of things other than God. Whether, whether it's being religious, whether it's being powerful or successful or talented, being liked or respected, being knowledgeable, or, or maybe for some of you it's being independent, not needing anyone else. None of us can escape it. Right, We're all Hypocrites, we're all building our identity on something, uh, and it's all external attempts at self-righteousness. In and, and those words uh, in Isaiah 1, God is, is saying to us, look, your, your righteousness doesn't cut it. It's like filthy rags. You're focused on the outside while the inside is withering away. Right? And you'll never fix the problem that way because your uncleanness comes from the inside. If we get a sense of righteousness from anything that is external to us, then our righteousness is, is complete hypocrisy because the problem is inside of us. Our hearts are defiled. And so what do we do? A common response, I think, that we all have is to hide ourselves, to hide ourselves from God and others. Right? We think that if God and if people see what is really true about us on the inside, then they'll reject us. So we hide ourselves. We hide the truth from God and from others. The truth that we are unclean. I think we even hide the truth from ourselves at times, just unable to face the reality of our lives. But look, hiding, minimizing your sin, is not going to do anything for you except make you more of a hypocrite. And so I want to plead with you. Look, ho- hopefully you've heard this enough uh, today. God cares about your heart. Your heart is defiled, but God wants to forgive your sin and to make you clean. He wants to transform you from the inside out so that you, you don't have to hide anymore. But you will have to accept the truth about yourself, the truth that Jesus reveals to us. Uh, another common response uh, I think that we have from time to time in our lives is just to, to recommit ourselves, right? To try harder, and to get our act together, to get uh, cleaned up. Right? But it's all external. So, again, I, I want to plead with you God cares about your heart. And even if you could, by some uh, you know, source of, of power, get your act together, your heart would still be far from God. And so, what do we do? In short, we're helpless. We are helpless. But the problem is internal, and in, in, in so many, uh, any, any of our attempts to fix things uh, on our own will just be in vain. Look, we're, we're helpless. We are completely at the mercy of God, which, as it turns out, is the perfect place to be. Uh, Hundreds of years before these Pharisees come on the scene uh, confronting Jesus here in Matthew 15, God revealed that a day would come when he would deal with this problem, the problem that plagued the Pharisees, the problem that plagued the disciples, the problem that plagues you and I. Uh, In Ezekiel 36, God promised us this. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. The prophet Ezekiel is pointing us to the cleansing that only God can provide. The day will come, God says, when we won't have to worry about our unclean hearts anymore because God will give us new hearts. Have you experienced that reality in your life? That God will deal with the uncleanness of his people by providing cleansing at the deepest level. Have you experienced that kind of cleansing that Ezekiel is talking about? When the law was given to the Israelites way back in the book of Exodus, it was required, this whole thing about ritual purification, it was required the high priest, before he even entered the temple, the holy place, he was to wash both his hands and his feet. He would wash himself as a way to purify himself so that he could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they then would be seen as purified and clean before God. This is what's going on here in Matthew 15. And over the years since that time, it had become the norm for all of those in the Pharisaic tradition, not just the priests, to wash their hands before eating as a way to identify with the priest and, more importantly, as a way to cleanse themselves before God. And so that when the Pharisees come to Jesus here, they're furious with Jesus because he seemed to be doing away with the law. He seemed to be saying that that purification, it, it doesn't matter. But look, they missed the point. They misunderstood Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't doing away with the law. He wasn't saying that purification doesn't matter. He was saying, I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the purification for sins. You care about the external, but God the Father cares about your heart, and only I can cleanse your heart. Listen to one more passage. Listen to Hebrews 9 and what it says about how Christ fulfills the law and cleanses us. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of uh, bulls and uh, goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is, is the greater high priest. And when we, by faith, Uh, encounter Jesus, what we see is that God cares about our heart. He cares so much so that he ransomed us from our futile ways by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless lamb who was without stain or blemish. And if you throw yourself upon the mercy and grace of God, if you give yourself wholly to him, then he will cleanse you from the inside out. This is the good news. Jesus is our greater high priest, Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.